Invitations on, right? In front of me. 562. Thank you, Jake, leading us in singing. I want to thank all y'all for being here. I didn't get to shake your hand and tell you personally, just imagine that I did, and we'll try not to spread as many germs. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about transformation. And if you weren't here last week, I explained what this picture means, but we'll save that. Um, but I want, I want to keep talking about this idea of transformation. Because um, like I said, we've, we've been talking about about since we started meeting back in person. And uh, last week we focused on Romans 12 and what specifically Paul meant when he says uh, to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Uh, we, we looked at that and we talked about that, that to, to be really transformed and not just to have a, a small or temporary change, that transformation has to start with the renewal of our minds. So like I said, in keeping with this theme of change, uh, today I, I want us to take today and just really look at one thing, and it's, and it's pretty simple, and we've, we've talked about it and referenced it a lot of times before, but I just want us to really look at the transformational power of the Word of God. And what do I mean by that? Um, well, well, I want us to ask ourselves, what, what does God's Word really mean to me? As Christians, of course, we believe the Bible, uh, when translated correctly and in its current form, when as given to us to be the written Word of God. Um, there's, there's obviously some translations or copies out there we would have issue with, but by and large, it's, it's a pretty foundational statement. Um, there, there's a lot of areas of Christian theology that are very controversial and very debated, but truthfully, whether you're a Orthodox, Jew, Northern Baptist, Southern Baptist, I don't know if there's an East or West, but Methodist, Lutheran, almost anyone who calls themselves Christians, we would all agree that the Bible is the written Word of God. But... I think if we look honestly at ourselves and if we look honestly at our lives, I don't think we really always treat it that way. So like I said today, I want us to really hone in and focus on, and remind ourselves of the transformational power that we're talking about when we say the Word of God, when we're talking about God's Word. So, so our first scripture that I want us to look at today is actually the first scripture. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 1. And as y'all are turning there, I want to share a couple more thoughts. Have y'all, have y'all ever seen the show How It's Made? I promise I'm going to get back to how this is relevant before I'm done here. But I, I used to love the show How It's Made. I mean, I, I, I could watch it for hours because I have never in my life thought about how mascara, fireworks, or railroad ties were made until someone told me they're about to show me, and that's all I wanted to see. I, just, I love getting to see how stuff kind of came to be in the form it is. And the truth is, there's a lot of different ways that things are made. Circuit boards, little things inside computers, are made with a lot of really expensive materials. So they're made with very careful precision and, and design and planning. Um, cars, most cars nowadays, are made with uh, massive, loud, whirring machines that stamp and rivet. And there's a lot of labor and a lot of sweat and a lot of toil. But interestingly, none of that is how we were made. None of that is how the universe or the birds or some of the prehistoric creatures of the sky and the land and the sea and the earth around us was made. God did not concoct a potion that was drawn up in a big cauldron in the sky. He didn't program a massive fleshy CNC machine to make everybody. And he didn't sweat or toil in the hot sun the way some of us had. In fact, he did something really simple 
And I want to remind us of these words again. As I said, in, in Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Truthfully, I I would love to sit here and just read for us the entire story of creation, but we're all pretty familiar with it. We don't really have time, and it probably put some of us to sleep, truthfully. I I know I have the tendency to do that sometimes. So we're going to skim down to the end. We know how it goes anyway. So I'm going to skim down to the end of verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. I think this is just so fascinating because as I said, there's a lot of different ways things are made. But when we're talking about the transformational power of God's word, this is the kind of imagery I want us to have in mind. It is simply by speaking something into existence that God created life out of the darkness around us. It says the spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be land, and there was land. He said, let there be creatures on the land, and there was creatures on the land. When we talk about the transformational power, I would challenge you to come up with a greater transformation than that of chaos and nothingness into life and the universe that we see around us. God's word has very literal, real transformational power. You know, I, uh, I, I don't know how many of you have heard of the, uh, the Big Bang Theory before. Not the TV show, it's another thing. But um, it's, I remember when I was in, in school, and that's, uh, it's really interesting because I remember the first time I heard it, they, they said that basically there was this nothingness and then something happened to cause out of that nothingness chaos. And out of that chaos, eventually, uh, through some process, that there became order. And believe it or not, the first time I heard that, I said, you know, that's, that's interesting because that sounds a lot like what some dusty old book told me since I was a kid. And that might sound crazy to sort of equate those two things. And, and I'm really not trying to because especially the scientists, they'll use really crazy words like a particle horizon and thermodynamic equilibrium and the, the, the space-time uh, nonlinear expansion and all these things. But the truth is, and I mean this genuinely, the truth is that even the most educated men and women in that field, they'll tell you they don't really know what happened. They don't really understand all the forces that are at play that created the universe around us. So when someone wants to tell me that there was nothing and now there is order and life that we see, I kind of hear that and I go, yeah, that, that sounds a lot like what I believe, truthfully. But I think there is one very critical, important step between the nothingness and the chaos and the order and life. They are missing the part where God spoke. God spoke into existence the world around us. It was with his word. God's word has very simple and very transformational power. When God sent his son, the Messiah, Jesus, when he walked on the earth, he demonstrated his power with great signs and many wonders in the presence of many witnesses. 
But when our creator brought the universe into existence, he did so with his words. The Hebrews writer in chapter 11, verse 3, said it is by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith, other words, is, is, is the belief and the holding true of that which is not seen. The universe around us was created from that which we can't see. No one can tell you, even as I said, even the scientists who have many degrees and lots of years spent studying this field, they can't really tell you when you ask them, when they present to you the, the idea of the bang, Big Bang Theory, and you ask them, well, what banged or what caused the Big Bang? They go, well, we don't really know. We're still fuzzy on that part. They can't explain it. We can explain it. And it's very simple. When we talk about the transformational power of God's word, when we talk about his written word, I want us to remember that it is his spoken word that brought the universe to life around us. The story of creation here is is a part of the oldest law ever given. And the creation was accomplished and that law was given through God's word. Turn with me to our next scripture. It's going to be in in 2 Peter. In, In Peter's second letter... To the early churches, he, he opens with a warning against false prophets and against false teachers and those who will attempt to lead astray the members of the church. And, and when he begins in chapter 3, he's speaking about what those who will attempt to lead people astray, what they'll do, and some of the things that will go on there. So as, as I said, I'm going to begin reading in Second Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 5 to verse 7. <clears throat> Second, P3, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 5. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter reminds us, and he reminds the church, that as we discussed, it is the word of God that created the earth, it is the word of God that flooded the earth, and it is the word of God that allows the earth to continue existing as we know it today. Later in the chapter, he, he continues on with that same thought that he introduces in verse 7, and he said, it is through this same word that will judge us when it brings about the end of the world. It is his word that will bring the world to an end, and it is his word that will judge us at the end. In the beginning, it was God's word that brought the world out of nothingness. And in the end, it is God's word that will turn the world to nothingness. God's word has physically transformational power. But God's word is also very spiritually transformational. Those two things are are the points I'd really like for us to look at today. And as we've we've seen from the story of Genesis in in a... in a tale that's confirmed many different times throughout Scripture, it was God's Word that brought the world into existence. His Word is physically transformational. But I want us to also look at how it can be spiritually transformational. Our, our next Scripture, and it was, is the one that was read for us today, just a page over, staying in Second Peter. In chapter 1, in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths... When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, 
and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. In verse 17, Peter emphasizes it is God's word that confirmed the identity of Christ. It is God's word from the heavens that came down and, and identified who the Christ was at his baptism in Matthew 3 or, or Mark 1 or Luke 3. And it was God's word that spoke to them on the mountaintop during the powerful and revelatory moments of his, of his wonderful transfiguration before them. When Christ was turned, it says his clothes and his face so white like no, like no earthly bleach could bleach them. It was God's word that identified who Christ was, and as Peter says, spoke to them, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In verse 19, Peter continues, he says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. I think this is interesting, and I think it's a... I, I, I want to stop and just look at that one little clause there, because I think this is actually a very interesting and probably reflective passage from the apostle. He opened by saying, as I said, that he didn't have to devise clever myths to tell you who Jesus was. I saw him. I saw him with my own eyes. I saw him come and I saw him be baptized. I saw him transfigured. I saw him crucified. And I saw him resurrected. Peter was a a disciple and an author and a great contributor to the church. But he was also simply a man. So when he says, now I have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, it begs the question for us, well, what could be more fully confirming than God's word? If God's word spoke to him from the mountaintop, what could be more more fully confirming than that? But if you look at the scriptures and you look at the gospels, if, if you remember from some of our Wednesday night studies on the miracles of Christ, even though Peter was a firsthand witness to so many accounts in Jesus' life, there are so many times Jesus looks at them and says, don't you get it? Don't you remember what I just did? Didn't you see what I just did? Didn't you, weren't you there? Don't you understand what I'm telling you? Jesus told them many times the Son of Man must be killed. And he told them many times the Messiah would be crucified and the Messiah would rise again. But I think as long as he was alive, I don't really think Peter, or I don't really think the disciples fully understood it. I think they spent their whole lives with him not really getting it But then when the day of Pentecost came, we see Peter and Paul begin to fervently preach the word of God. And I think it's then, later in life, it clicked. They spent their whole life listening to and being in the presence of Jesus. But it wasn't until he left them that they went, now I get it. Now I get what he's been telling me my whole life. And I highlight this, this, this reflective little sentence in verse 19 where he says, Now I have the prophetic word more fully confirmed because I think their story, Peter's story, Paul's story, is something that can resonate with a lot of us. How many of us grew up in the church, sat in these pews or sat in other pews, heard and heard the word of God our entire life, but it was not until some defining moment that we went, Now I get it. And I think truthfully, if you're willing to be honest with yourselves, if you you don't know what I'm talking about and you've maybe never had that defining moment, I would challenge you that it's probably because you're not really looking. Because I truly believe God's word 
has physical and spiritual transformational power. Peter and Paul were, are some of the most prominent figures of the early church, but both of them have a very documented history of not just, not just ignoring, but outright denying God. They were witnesses their entire life. So there's, there's really no shame in acknowledging our own leading astray because, as I said, the, the leaders and the forefathers of the early church, did the same, they made the same mistakes. They did the same thing. They were firsthand witnesses. They saw it their whole lives, and it wasn't until much later that Peter said, now I get it. Now, he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. And if we keep reading... He says, to which you will do well to pay attention to as, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's inter- own interpretation. You see, I know now Peter is really hearing the word of God because even his words there when he talks about the idea of a lamp shining in a dark place, this is not even an analogy that's his own. In fact, if you, if you remember from the Sermon on the Mount, in which you can find in, in Matthew 5, Jesus tells his disciples to be salt and to be light. He says, no one, A man does not put a lamp under a basket, but he puts it on a stand so that his whole house may see it. He says his word, his truth, is like that light. And that if we have his word and we have his truth, don't put it under a basket. Don't hide it. If we believe we have God's word, if we believe we have God's truth, and we believe God's word has spiritually transformational power, that it can save and reach the lost, don't put it under a basket. But put it in a lampstand so that the entire house might see the light. Just as God's word transformed the nothingness into the universe we see around us, His word, that is the truth, is a spiritual light into the darkness that is also in the world around us. I hope that our simple message today, if you are still looking for it, can spark a defining moment in your life. That it will cause you to seek seek out the word of God, maybe in a way that you haven't before. Because as I said, the word of God is powerful and it is transformational. There's, there's no shame in recognizing that you've been hearing but not listening. As I said, Peter was a disciple of Christ who by his own admission did not understand. Paul actively persecuted Christians until the light of God reached him in his life. These are men who were powerful movers and shakers of the church. Who, as I said, have a documented history of not just ignoring but outright denying God. There is no shame in repentance. There is only shame in staying the same. If you are looking for change and you are looking for transformation, I have good news because you have come to the right place. You have come to the right place, and I ask that you accept that now could be the right time. If you have any needs of the church, whether they be spiritual, physical, any needs at all, we ask that you come forward at this time and you make those needs known while we stand and while we sing.